Morning, church family. Uh, Today's reading is from Mark chapter 8, starting at verse 27. It's Mark 8, verse 27, and I'll be reading from the NIV. Let me remind you that we're about to hear from the God who made us and is our Father. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. And he said to them, Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. I suppose the danger uh, of Christmas is that you can... If, if Christmas is the only day you go to church in the year, which is true for many people in our country, you might only ever think of Jesus as gentle Jesus, meek and mild. You'll only ever think of Jesus as a babe in his mother's arms. And how offensive is a baby? Not very offensive at all. But today we are encountering a different Jesus to gentle Jesus, meek and mild. It really is what Jesus says to the disciples in the passage that Chris read for us this morning is really the the T's and C's of the Christian life. It's the small print. Don't become a Christian or a follower of Jesus until you have read the small print, until you've understood the T's and C's. Because otherwise, you'll be taken by surprise. Because if you understand the T's and C's in these verses, you will realize that Jesus is a good chance that Jesus will mess up your life if you really want to follow him. It's not the soft option. And it's good for us to go back to the T's and C's today at the beginning of a new year to be reminded of what it will take if we really want to follow the Lord Jesus Christ this year. Now, this passage, uh, Mark chapter 8, 27 to chapter 9, verse 1, is really the turning point of Mark's gospel. Many of you, I'm sure, know that and have studied Mark. 
Chapters 1 to 8 have all been interested in the question of Jesus' identity. Who is Jesus? We have known who Jesus is from the beginning. Look at chapter 1 and verse 1 on the screen. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Right in verse 1, Mark lets the cat out of the bag as to the identity of Jesus. But the people in the story don't know. Jesus doesn't go around in Mark 1 to 8 saying, I am the Christ. He just goes around doing Christ-like things. And this is the first time in Mark's gospel that the disciples realize who he really is. In verse 27, he asks them who people think he is, and they give the ancient world's answers. Um, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. There are all kinds of answers that people give today. Who do you think Jesus is? Oh, the founder of a religion, a moral teacher, a tragic martyr, a good man. But then Jesus does something that's very uncomfortable. He turns the question on them. From asking, who do people say I am, he then says, who do you say I am? And that's a very different kind of question, isn't it? It's, it's a question that he's personally revealing. How can I illustrate this? So if I said to you, who did South Africa vote for in the last elections? Well, that's easy. The ANC is the answer. But if I said to you, and who did you vote for? Can you see the difference? That's a very personal question, and I'm not sure that I want you to know who I voted for because it'll tell you something about me, and you might reject me. It might jeopardize our friendship. It's a personal question. But Peter, speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, according to Matthew, says in verse 29, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah. Finally, they've got the right answer. And Jesus accepts their answer, and so the second half of Mark's gospel begins, where he begins, he moves away from the identity question, who is Jesus, to the why has Jesus come question. What has he come to do? And so that question now comes into focus in the second half of the gospel. And so the first heading this morning is Jesus is the suffering king, verses 20, verse 31. He, started, he starts to tell them why he has come. Um, verse 31 says, He called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Sorry, I've got the wrong verse. Verse 31. I was reading verse 34. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. Up until this point, Jesus has not spoken to them about his suffering. There have been little indicators in the first eight chapters for those with eyes to see, if you knew what to look for. But from now on, his job description becomes the important thing, and no fewer than four times does he predict his death in the second half of Mark's gospel. Here in chapter 8, chapter 9, verse 30, chapter 10, verse 32, and again in chapter 10, verse 45. 
And the disciples hear him say that he is going to die. And they respond by saying, that is terrible news. That can't happen to you. You are the Christ. How can the long-awaited rescuing king be predicting his death? We've waited centuries for the Christ. We need rescue. We don't need a king who himself will need rescue because he's going to die. So they've got the right label, haven't they? Christ. But they've got the wrong product for they don't understand how the Christ is going to be the Christ. They don't understand that the way for Jesus to be the great king of kings is the road of the cross, suffering. But I wonder if you've noticed something. That, that much I'm pretty sure everybody knew. But I want to point something out to you that perhaps is a little bit harder to see. Did you notice what they, that they don't comment on Jesus' words in verse 31, and after three days rise again? Interesting, they seem to not hear that phrase, don't they? They're focusing on the death. How terrible, you can't die, you're the Christ. But they seem to have missed that last phrase. And that phrase, by the way, is repeated in chapter 9 and again in chapter 10. Each time Jesus predicts his death, he also predicts his resurrection in the same breath. But they ignore that part of what Jesus is saying. I wonder what you think they heard when he said, and after three days rise again. Well, I think probably they heard something like our phrase, oh, they've died and gone to heaven. That's how we talk very often. The Jews believe that at the end of time there will be a resurrection when all of God's people will go to heaven. But they didn't realize that when Jesus spoke about his resurrection, that that is not what he was talking about. He wasn't talking about the end of time when the dead will rise. I think they thought that he was saying, I'm going to die and then I'll go to heaven. I think that's what they heard, but it's not what he meant and it's not what he said. They don't understand his death, but they also don't understand his resurrection. What Jesus is saying is absolutely mind-boggling. After three days, I will rise again. What he's saying is he's saying that they will see a new age, a new kingdom, a new world. A world where death does not have the final word. And so in chapter 9 and verse 1, he says, Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. And the very next story in chapter 9 of Mark's gospel is the transfiguration of Jesus, where Jesus in a circle, Peter, James, and John, saw Jesus glorified on top of the mountain as a trailer, as a preview of the glory that will come to him ultimately. And finally, there they saw the new age. They caught a glimpse of it. They saw the great truth that Christianity stands on, and that is that we are not living in this age alone, but in the age to come as well. The age to come, the new kingdom, 
the kingdom of God has broken into the kingdom of men with the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ three days after his death. We stand at the nexus of two worlds, an old, sinful, dying kingdom, but a new, perfect, eternal kingdom previewed with the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the age to come was about to break in upon the world with the death and resurrection of Jesus. Can you see that they didn't understand the suffering, but they also didn't understand the resurrection? Who is he? He is the Christ. What kind of Christ is he? He is the supernatural Christ, who by conquering death will bring in the new age. But that has to happen via the cross. And so Jesus is the suffering Christ who ushers in the new kingdom. Second heading, will you be subject to him? That's the challenge of Jesus. Do you really want to follow Jesus? Will you be subject to him? If that is who he is and why he has come, what does it require of us? And so Jesus rebukes Peter, who having received from God the understanding that Jesus was the Christ, now mouths the words of Satan in verse 33. Jesus turned and looked at his disciples. He rebuked Peter, get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Under the influence of the Holy Spirit in one sentence, in one breath, and then under the influence of the devil in the next breath. We all love Peter, don't we? Because he's like us. We say dumb things all the time. We change feet when we open our mouths all the time. And so we really resonate with him and relate to him quite easily. So Jesus calls them together in verse 34. Not just the disciples, mind you, but the crowds as well. And he gives them a lesson on discipleship. If you want to follow me, then I require these two things. Verse 34, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross before they follow me. Deny yourself and take up your cross. Denying yourself has to do with something internal. Taking up your cross has to do with something external. Let me explain. We have reduced deny yourself to cutting out chocolate or Netflix, haven't we? Can I say it takes a lot more than cutting out chocolate or Netflix to be a follower of Jesus? It means nothing less than renouncing yourself as the center of your life and recognizing Jesus as the one that your life needs to orbit around. Do you really want to follow Jesus? Saying no to self is acknowledging that my life ought to revolve around the Lord Jesus Christ. Now let's remember the generation in which we live. Our generation is the expressive individualism generation, as it has been called. Nothing could be more offensive to our generation than Jesus' words, deny yourself. For we are the Indulge yourself, generation, are we not? Hold nothing back from yourself, generation. Do whatever you need to do to be happy. Pamper yourself. 
Have some me time. Give yourself some TLC. Be yourself, whoever you want to be. Let nothing or no one move you out of the center. And in fact, if you deny yourself, won't you need therapy in a few years' time? You suppress who you really are. You'll need years of therapy to recover from that. And so in a culture that says indulge yourself, I want you to see the T's and C's of Christianity. For what Jesus says is exactly the opposite to what our culture is telling us. Deny yourself. If you really want to follow Jesus, you are going to say no to yourself. You are going to say no to self-government and to self-determination. I will be conquered by Jesus. He rules me entirely. He calls the shots. My life this year will orbit around him and his priorities. Friends, this is the message of Jesus. God's king has arrived. Peter is right. He is the Christ. God's king is here. Life can never be the same again. If you really want to follow Jesus, you cannot live life ever again as though God's king has not come. And so we are to get off the throne and out of the center of our lives. That is what it means to deny yourself, is to say no to self-determination. But secondly, he says, take up your cross in verse 34. If I'm going to follow Jesus, I'm going to say no to myself, but I'm also going to say no to the world, external. You see, taking up your cross in the ancient world was a very public, external thing to do. The whole world could see that was part of the punishment of being crucified, was the very humiliation of dragging your own cross up the Via Dolorosa to Golgotha and to be crucified. It was a very public thing. And so not only does Jesus require me to say no to myself, but Jesus also requires me to be willing to accept the rejection and the ridicule and the mockery of the world. Do you really want to follow him? I'm going to deny myself, and then I'm going to say no to the world. I'm not going to think or act the world the way the world thinks and acts ever again. For my life orbits around Jesus. Jesus died for this world. And so I can say no to this world. For the world that he rose for was the age to come. The kingdom to come. Can you see that if you really follow Jesus, there is a good chance that he will mess up your life. For you will have to say no to yourself. And you'll have to say no to the world. I remember a friend in a previous church that I served at who, I might have told you the story already, but it's worth saying again. He followed a girl to church. I'll take it anything to get them there. And in God's kindness to him, he didn't only fall in love with this girl, but he fell in love with Jesus, and he became a true Christian. And about a month into being a new Christian, 
he came to see me and he was absolutely furious with me. He said to me, you've sold me a lemon. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, when I started to follow Jesus, I thought that things would click into place and my life would get easier, but I've had the most miserable month of my entire life. I said to him, welcome to real Christianity. Jesus will mess up your life. And he talked to me about how the temptations that came his way and how the people that he used to hang out with and the activities that he used to engage in, how he was saying no to all of that and the conflict and the trouble that it brought him. That's normal Christianity. That's what Jesus wants you to be aware of before you sign up to follow him. Now, why should we be willing to endure all of that? What motivation is there for us to have our lives disturbed and disrupted by Jesus? Well, Jesus gives us three reasons in this passage. Look at verse 35. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. You know, to deny yourself might make you fear that you'll lose yourself, that your dreams will be crushed, that your desires will be blunted, that your personality will be erased. It might make you fear that you'll be deprived of everything that makes you, you. But here, the wonderful promise of Jesus in verse 35. If you lose your life now, for my sake, you will gain it. You will save it. Jesus' challenge to those who want to follow him is, do you really want to follow me? Denying yourself and carrying your cross is what is required. If you hang on now, you'll lose it. But if you give it away now, you will save it. That's the first reason. Jesus comes preaching about the world to come, the resurrection age, which is already broken in at the resurrection of Jesus. It involves death in this world to bring life in the world to come. It took the very death of Jesus to bring about the world and the life to come, and it'll take no less for us. That is the challenge of Jesus. That is what he requires of his disciples, death to this world and life for the world to come. Are you hanging on to your life? refusing it, refusing to give it away to Jesus. What are you hanging on to your life for? Don't you realize that you will lose it if you hang on to it? Give it to Jesus. Give it away. Lose your life. And then you will save it. So the great gospel irony is that those who hang on to their lives lose them, while those who give their lives away save them. Reason number one. Reason number two is the financial transaction reason in verse 36 and verse 37 where Jesus uses financial language. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? What can anyone give in exchange for their soul? What profit is it for you to hang on to your life? It's my life. I've got things I want to do. I want the overseas trip, even if it takes me away from God's people. I want the career, even if it requires me to give my soul away. I want the big house. I want the business. I want the view. I want the husband, even if he's not a Christian. I want, I want, I want. The challenge of Jesus this morning is whatever it is that you want, 
That is the price you place on your soul. I wonder what that is for you. What is the price you've put on your head more than Jesus? What choice would you make? What do you value more than the world to come, the age to come? That's the second reason. There's a third reason, which really is the most chilling reason of all. Verse 38. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Here is a reminder, friends, that God takes the decisions that we make about him seriously. If in this world you decide to reject Jesus, that decision is noted by heaven and accepted by heaven. And the warning that comes in that verse is that if you reject me in this world, then in the world to come you will be rejected. If you accept me in this world, in the world to come, you will be accepted. That is, the way we treat Jesus in this kingdom is the way that Jesus will treat us in the kingdom to come. You know, we need to hear these words afresh because I've done enough funerals in my 25 years in ministry to notice that most people think that the only thing that is required to go to heaven is for somebody just to die. Everybody who dies goes to heaven, you would swear, if you listen to the eulogies and the tributes that I've heard over the years in funerals. doesn't matter what a ratbag the person was who died. They're in heaven, don't worry according to those who bring tribute and eulogy. But that is in fact not the case. Going to heaven, being part of the world to come, being part of the new kingdom, depends entirely on how you respond to Jesus in this kingdom and in this world. And that response is respected by God. You are free to reject Jesus but understand the consequences. Whoever is ashamed of me will have me ashamed of them on the last day. It's very hard to deny yourself when you are privileged and you live in Stellenbosch. We live in, in what must be one of the most wonderful parts of the whole world. Our generation is one of the most affluent in the history of mankind. We have the power and the ability to do more, to travel more, to experience more than anyone who has ever lived. We are better educated than our parents. We are more likely to travel and have more opportunities open to us than ever before. We have really got this world. It's ours like nobody else's. But if you want to follow Jesus, you have said death to this world and life to the age to come. The kingdom of God is not like the kingdoms of this world with its ambition and its honor and its pride of place. The king of God, the king of the kingdom to come, lays down his life as a ransom for many in this life, in this kingdom. He demonstrates 
self-denial and carrying his cross supremely, doesn't he? Selflessness for the salvation of others is what marks our Lord. Will it mark you this year? Will it mark us as a church this year? We must learn to say no to this world. We must die to this world, for we are citizens of the age to come, and that must be the way that we live. Because we live for the next world, we no longer live for this world's comforts or honors or accolades or achievements or pleasures. We put the gospel first. We put the gospel before family. Friends, I've noticed that family is really the noblest idolatry of all. For it always sounds right. I'm doing it for the kids. I want it for the kids. I'm doing it for the... You can always work out how materialistic you are by what you want for your kids. The gospel comes before your children if you want to follow Jesus. It's time for us to stop letting the tail wag the dog. The gospel comes before our career It affects everything. We are saying no to ourselves and to the world. And we are setting our heart on the world to come, giving up our life for the good of others, for the salvation of others. Changes everything. What a difference being a Christian makes. If you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus, as many of you are, it's not your life. You've given your life to Jesus. Don't take it back. You've given your life to him. Give it to him completely, whatever it requires. But I want to close by speaking to those who aren't yet followers of Jesus. I'm I'm glad you're here, if there is anybody in that category, because it's good for you to hear the T's and C's of the Christian life. Understand this, Jesus will not make your life better or easier. If you really want to follow him and if you're really going to live for him in a deep and a real way, he will mess your life up. But if Jesus is true and if what he says is true, isn't it time for you to consider the age to come and to stop worrying so much about this age, which is passing? It's time to take seriously that this life is not all that there is. There is another life, another age, another kingdom, another world. You may be very well prepared and set up for this life. But what about the age to come? I would love to speak to you if you'd like to take action for the age to come. And I'll be available in the front afterwards. Now will you bow with me as we pray?